sisters. This is a message 13 in the book of Hebrews. Not quite halfway through the book. And remember, this book is probably written in the 60s AD, probably by the apostle Paul. Though we don't know that for sure. He's certainly someone well acquainted with Judaism and the ways of Judaism, the ways of the Mosaic Law. This book is written to Jewish background Christians who have been scattered from Jerusalem and Palestine across the Roman Empire, probably due to persecution at times. If you remember, in the book of Acts, Paul met various teachers like Priscilla and Aquila, who had been kicked out of Rome because of persecution by the emperor. There was a major persecution in AD 64 by Nero. So this book is written to Jewish believers in Christ who are suffering, who are persecuted, who are disillusioned and discouraged because they believe in Christ, but their lives are not going like they expected. So Paul has talked about how Jesus is a prophet, and he's talking about how Jesus is the great priest in the next chapters. And throughout this book, the writer is reminding these Jewish background Christians to keep the faith in Christ. So, the end of chapter 5, verse 12, he says there's a problem. For by this time, you should be teachers. You should have grown and matured in the faith well enough that some of you could assume the roles of teachers, of pastors, of shepherds, of elders in the church. But he says, many of you are not at that level of maturity. The problem is, you still need to be taught the basics of the faith. You're not maturing. You're staying as little babes. Now, we read 1 John chapter 2, where John says, there are three basic classes of maturity. And he says it twice for each one. There are those who are babes in Christ. What do they know? John says, they know God is their father. That's good. They know they're in God's family. And they are children of God. And he says, you know, your sins are forgiven. That's basic gospel truth. Every new believer should know that I'm in God's family. God is my father. My sins are forgiven. And 
But he says, the next stage is from being a child to being a young adult. And they know the word of God. And they want to do battle against Satan and his kingdom. It takes greater maturity to move beyond the basics to where you know the word and you can think clearly about the schemes of the devil and resist him. But John says that's not the highest level of Christian maturity. The highest level is to be like old men or perhaps old women of the faith who don't just know the word, but they know the God who inspired the word that you know God personally, that you just don't know something about God, but you know God personally, experientially. So, here in verse chapter 5, he's saying to these Christians, Jewish Christians, you're not at these other levels of maturity. You should know the word. You should be exercising spiritual gifts. You should be teaching in some fashion. Maybe it's just father to son, mother to child, or in what we might say, like a Sunday school. Not necessarily as a pastor or evangelist, but he says, you don't know the word of God and you don't know God as you should. In fact, you still need to be taught the basics and what you're like. He says, you don't know the principles, the first principles of the oracles or word of God. You're like a baby who needs milk, who doesn't take solid food. Now you know a natural child. You don't give a newborn or young infant steak to chew on. They can't handle it. It takes time for their digestive system to mature before you introduce solid food. Well, Paul, the author is saying, you're not ready for greater doctrine because you're still like immature babes. Solid food belongs to those who are a full age. Like John said, young adults who know the word older men who know God. And so the problem and my first point is basically is point one you Jewish Christians scattered are discouraged suffering and you're troubled because you're immature in your faith. And so, the goal is to move them from staying on milk to greater doctrine, greater teaching, greater understanding of the Word of God. Think about this for yourself. Are you growing in maturity?
Or do you seem to be stuck in a place of lesser maturity, of doubt, of un lesser understanding of God's word? Do you still struggle just to understand basic truths of the word of God? Now he says that solid food belongs to those of full age. That is, who by reason of use of their senses have exercised the ability to discern good and evil. He's saying that God has given us minds that we can use. That we can use our reason to help us understand. We can use our senses and common sense. Yes, we need the Spirit to guide us, but He has not left us as unthinking animals that cannot understand spiritual truth. So we're called to go and use solid by the use of our minds, our reasons, our senses to discern doctrine and good and evil. But the immature person doesn't think clearly. They're tossed about by strange doctrines. So when somebody like Joseph Smith you know, comes up with strange prophecies 150 some years ago, leads thousands of people astray. It's because they didn't understand the word of God. They didn't understand redemption and Christology and salvation. And so they were easily led astray. Now let me say again, where are you spiritually? Has God's spirit to help you assess where you are? It doesn't so much matter your age. Daniel is a young man. The rest of us are not spring chickens here. We're older, but you can grow immensely in a few years spiritually. Where some people have been Christians 50, 60 years and they still don't understand basic truths. And like John says, you're still babes. You're not even young adults who know the word, who understand how to fight the schemes of the devil, let alone be mature enough to know God. How do we grow spiritually? Yes, we think, we reason, God gives us common sense and all that, but let me suggest the basic means of grace that you and I are to use on a daily, regular basis to grow and mature in our faith. The first thing is to pray. 
to talk to your Father through Jesus, your Lord. If you don't pray and talk to God, you will live in guilt and fear and doubt and not have any sense of God's will. So I'm going to say, you'll grow if you make it a business. I have it to pray daily. Can I suggest that you make sure you pray 10 or 15 minutes every morning when you get up. And you can pray throughout the day for big things and small things. But pray 10 or 15 minutes at night before you go to bed. Pray through the Ten Commandments. Pray through the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. But pray. Next, read, study, meditate on the Word of God. Not just one verse from the Daily Bread. Somebody called that the Daily Crumb. It's not much there. It's a start, but brothers and sisters, will you commit to say, I will read through the entire scriptures at least once a year. Can I suggest read a couple of Psalms every day? If you read three Psalms a day, 150 Psalms. You'll go through all 150 in 50 days. If you read one chapter in the Gospels, you'll go through all four Gospels every three months. You want to know Jesus? Read the Gospels. Because the Gospels tell us about Jesus. What he said and what he did. To mature, don't you want to know? God your Father better. God the Spirit better. Yes, and God the Son, your Lord and Savior better. How? By prayer. By the word of God. You grow. By regular. Worship. With God's people. In a Christ centered. Christ honoring church. We do not mature. We slip away. If we neglect. The corporate. Public worship. Of God. It's good to be here, brothers and sisters. Yes, the pandemic made it hard. You know, but thank God, this little church didn't miss a, a service. Yeah, we met outside on 69th Street sometimes. Or in the park, but... If you're a believer, you want to worship God in a Christ-honoring church where the word is preached and God is praised. And you want to fellowship with other believers because they're family. It's not perfect, but it's a great strength to your soul. It helps you mature to be with other brothers and sisters who are perhaps wiser and have understanding and give you 
counsel and hold you accountable. And you mature in your faith when you bear witness of Christ and you tell the lost what Christ has done for sinners. I think it's Philemon 6 that says, if you witness, you'll be strengthened, encouraged in your faith. Why? Because you have to study the word. You have to pray. It's a spiritual battle. You have to trust Christ for the opportunities. You have to trust the leading and guidance of the Spirit. One other means of grace we're going to celebrate in a few minutes. Baptism is a means of grace. Most of us probably have been baptized. We'll talk about that in a second. But taking the Lord's Supper with God's people, we remember what Christ did. And it's grace to our souls. Though it's just bread and wine, it reminds us and helps strengthen us that God has redeemed us through Christ. Now, so think of these means of grace. Say to yourself, I'm going to use these and I'm going to grow and mature by God's grace to know Christ better to love the Spirit, to love my Father, and not be one who stays down here like an infant who doesn't understand, doesn't grow. It's a sad thing in the natural world if a child all of a sudden stops growing like becomes autistic or so at age two. They might grow physically, but not mentally, intellectually. And we know something's terribly wrong when a child stays in those undeveloped stages. Now it's natural. A baby becomes a toddler. A toddler goes to school. The elementary school kid becomes a teen. Goes to high school. Gets out of there. Becomes an adult. And you treat a young adult much different than you treat a five-year-old. Don't you? Because there's a level of understanding and maturity. And John says, we shouldn't stay like babes, but we should be on this progression upward toward knowing God better. So make that a goal of your life. Now, in chapter 6, we have point two, where he talks about something about growing. And to grow in the faith, he says to these Jewish Christians, to grow, you've got to leave some elementary principles behind. Now, this can be a confusing section of scripture. Most commentators 
feel the writer is talking about growth and Christian maturity and that you don't stay on elementary principles of faith. Some commentators think that this section is saying to Jewish Christians, you don't stay in Judaism under the Old Testament covenant. But coming to Christ, you go to the, the new covenant, the new priesthood. And I think there's some truth there. But I think there's truth about the other perspective. And so he says, the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Let's go to perfection. Now he doesn't mean that in this life we have a state of moral, sinful, sinless perfection, but it means that you have a state of completion and maturity. This word is used several times in the book of Hebrews to speak like that. So, the immature Christian isn't complete in his understanding. He needs to grow. He needs to be perfected, so to speak. Just as he said earlier, Christ who was without sin learned obedience and was lost, so to speak, perfected before God as an unblemished lamb qualified to be the redeemer. So, he said, not, not again laying this foundation, these foundational truths. Now, it's easy to misunderstand what he says here. I'll try to see if I can make it clear. These six truths that he mentions are foundational beliefs of Jew or Gentile who have come to Christ. This list is not unique to the Christian faith but were found in the teachings of Jewish rabbis and Jewish catechisms. Excuse me. But, he says, these are foundations. Now when you build a building, you build a foundation, you make it strong, but you don't go back to it and say, I gotta redo the foundation. What you do is, I made the foundation sure and strong. Now, I'm going to put the superstructure, the building up. Even if it's a one-story house. Or, like the Empire State Building. Many stories. As you mature and move to young adulthood and old age in the faith. You're building, so to speak, brick by brick on the basic foundation of Christ. First Corinthians 3 says about the judgment of believers that they have a foundation that's sure the foundation is Christ. But what did you build on it? Wood, hay, straw. That's not good. God will take that away. But if you build with gold and silver, precious stones, those things remain. 
believe it. Paul said he's lost everything. The foundation is Christ. So, brothers and sisters, here's six basic foundational truths. Repentance from dead works. Repentance, yes, is something we need to continue. As God's Spirit and God's Word shows us an area of sin. In fact, as we mature, we often realize I'm a bigger sinner than I realized. But guess what? The gospel is bigger still yet than your sin. But what he means here is not going back to a first time repentance from your your deadly sins and your own righteousness to claim Christ. You see, many people think I still feel guilty. I lack assurance. I better go forward when the preacher makes an invitation. If Greg Laurie's in town or Billy Graham, I better go and accept Christ again. Now he's saying, no, you repented of your works and you believed that's sufficient. Believe it's good. That again, we still say, oh, God showed me today that how I spoke to my brother was wrong. And I need to repent of that and ask forgiveness. Death, that daily repentance is true. That's part of maturity. But we rest in repentance and faith. Because, like Habakkuk said, the just man shall live by faith. Paul repeated it several times in Romans and Galatians. And then he says, well, faith toward God. Doesn't Paul say, you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, you go out to God in faith, and you will be saved. Again, some people think, I got to do that again, and again, and again. I'm just not sure. Well, you're not sure because you're not believing the truth of Scripture. Jesus said, John 6, 47, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Then he said concerning the doctrine of baptisms, the doctrine's important. We should study doctrine to try to understand the Word of God. He says of baptisms, this has caused commentators a lot of debate. Why is it plural? Baptisms. And the word baptisms could mean, like in the Jewish custom, of washings, where you wash the altar and the cups and the plates and the tables and you did those things often. Some commentators think that is he talking about you were baptized many of you Jewish people when you were John the Baptist years ago. Are you thinking 
you need to be now baptized in Christ. Or some people think, I was baptized under John. I was baptized, but I didn't receive the Spirit. So there's confusion. What kind of baptisms? But again, we have to interpret Scripture through the rest of Scripture. That if you've been baptized in the name of the triune God, you don't need to be rebaptized that one time, covering with water. It's a sign and seal of God's work, of your repentance and faith. Notice he next adds the laying on of hands. It became a practice in the early church to lay hands on people. Sometimes for healing of illness. Sometimes to set someone apart for ministry or to ordain them to the office of elder or deacon. And sometimes for those in the book of Acts who had been, who had believed and had some form of baptism, but had not received the spirit and the spiritual gifts. So the early church sometimes baptized, sometimes laid on hands on people. And he's saying, you don't go back to repenting, to being baptized, to having hands laid on you. Those are foundations that you build on. Calvin, in, in his commentary, talk about heavy-duty stuff. You know, he said, The church sometimes affirmed that you baptized even infants and children in the household. Now, at a later stage, the elders of the church would recognize this child has grown old enough to profess faith. And so they would, so to speak, confirm the faith of the child by laying hands on the child. This became a type of practice in the church for hundreds of years. Still practiced in some ways. But Calvin points out that the church then often moved into superstition by saying the priest or the elder has to lay hands in order for that person to be born again. So that became a superstitious practice, an unbiblical practice in the history of the church. He also says, you know, you believers in Christ, there's a resurrection of the dead. That God is the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, Jesus was raised from the dead. The first fruit of the resurrection 
and you, believers in Christ, will be raised from the dead. Don't doubt that great doctrine. You see, in the Thessalonian church, some people thought, as Jesus come, as the resurrection occurred, we must have got left behind somehow. And he has to write Thessalonians to correct her doctrine about the resurrection and the second coming. Brothers and sisters, you will be raised. That's a truth. It's all throughout the New Testament, especially 1 Corinthians 15, because the grave could not keep Jesus. No matter how we might die, or whether we're still alive when Christ returns, we will meet Christ with a resurrected body. And the scriptures tell us it's not just a resurrection of the saints, but the resurrected resurrection of the wicked and the judgment. This verse tells us there is a resurrection of the dead. Some to eternal life. Some to damnation. This verse contradicts those who say God will not send people to hell. He will just annihilate that person and they cease. That's basically what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. And some other Christian leaders like John Stott said that in his later years. So he's saying here foundational truths rest on them. You don't have to go back and try to do these again and again. You repented. You believed. Perhaps you were baptized. Hands laid on you. You know you're going to be resurrected. You have eternal life. And eternal life means you don't just exist somewhere out in space. Eternal life means that you, as a believer in Christ, have a place in heaven before the triune and perfect and glorious God as a child of God. You're not separated from God in judgment. But you're with your God, your Father, your Lord, your Holy Spirit forever. And what does he say? In verse 3. This we will do, God permits. What will we do? Christians, leave behind. Don't forget them. Don't abandon them. But build on the foundational truth. And if God permits by His grace, we will grow and mature in Christ. Because our goal is, John said, your goal is not to 
know the Bible in and out. Your goal is to know the living God of the Bible in a personal, loving relationship where God says, I know you. And you say, I know you. You see, you can be a great theological mind. You can give a perfect exam before Presbytery, for ordination, and not have a great personal relationship with God. In fact, George Whitfield, in his preaching, used to complain that the number one problem in the Anglican church was most of the ministers aren't born again. So, we must be born again. Our brother last week preached on that. Amen. But we're not born again dozens of times. We're born again by God's grace. And as a new Christian, we mature, we grow in various stages. And our goal for all of us is to be like Christ, to bear the fruit of the Spirit, because we are vines, branches attached to the true vine, Christ. Action points. I want you to read for the next time, chapter 6 and 7. Chapter 6, the next couple verses are a couple of the most difficult verses. And I'm going to say, guess what? If you read this chapter, you will understand. The apostle is saying, the true believer perseveres and never loses his salvation. But the false convert falls away and can't be renewed. So read that chapter, those chapters, and make it the purpose to say, Lord Jesus, I want to grow. I don't want to be immature like a babe. I want to know the scriptures better. I want to know you better. I want the spirit to control me and bear fruit in my life. And leave behind the foundational truths, but build on them. Do you believe you'll be resurrected? Good. That gives you hope in this dying, troubled world. Doesn't the scripture say our outer man is decay, but our inner man is to be renewed day by day. So, we're not going to be renewed if we stay stuck somewhere else. Now, one last comment. Read the scriptures. Will you read it through once a year at least? Or more? Will you read Perhaps good books of church history. Perhaps missionary biographies. We can gain a wealth of wisdom from brothers and sisters gone before us. And let me suggest 
This is Christ Church Vanguard. We hold to the standards of the Westminster Divines, the Confession of Faith, the larger catechism, the shorter catechism. Uh, I'm not saying that you have to understand all of it, but those men hundreds of years ago sat down with a lot of wisdom and said, like, what does that petition of the Lord's Prayer mean? Let's write it out. And the larger catechism was meant to instruct adults. The shorter catechism, children. It's a tool we can use to help us. Well, you said, I don't understand what justification means. Well, the catechism and the confession help define those terms. I don't understand sanctification. Those standards help define those things. So, I just suggest that. Those help us understand sometimes our doctrines. Father, thank you for this passage of scripture. Help each of us to grow in Christ, to be mature. No matter how many more years we have on this earth, that at the end of our lives, we can say, I know God better. I know my Savior. I know my Lord. I'm given it and love the spiritual things. And I've gone away 